This week on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, we ask the question, Hey Scott, are you going to Scarborough Fair? Not this year, unfortunately. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the only show that knows war. Huh. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. With me today is the paragon of virtue and the greatest man I have ever worked with in my professional life, Luke Taylor. And Scott's here too. (laughs) I don't want that title. Luke. And me? Well, I'm Zach Geiler. Okay. Boo. Yeah, boo. Yep, we get through that. That's all good. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> what I didn't tell you guys is just a few minutes before we went on air. What What you may not know, dear listeners, is that the episodes that we record on Thursdays aren't posted until several weeks later. The episode kosher pork just dropped today, and I share the cover art on Facebook and in my story right before. I hit record. I got a message on Facebook from a strange, I don't want to say stranger. She might listen to it now that she knows, but from a a well-meaning older lady who sent me a picture, a screenshot of our cover art that says kosher pork on it and said, just want to let you know this is probably an internet hoax. You're a phony. Hey, this guy's a great big phony. When critics review like a like a show or a movie, you know, there's like a little snippet of a quote from that. Can we just put like this is probably a hoax? No, what she said, no, what it said was probably not true. Like I know she was being well-meaning, but she just <laughs> she just <laughs> you're a big fat phony. I just love the fact that somebody looked at that and went, ah, oh, fake news. Someone made kosher pork. That's not <laughs> that's not legitimate. <laughs> Welcome to 2021. You can't trust anybody. You're a phony! Hey, everybody! This guy's a great big phony! (laughs) That's the greatest... That's, like, the only feedback we've gotten on this show, and it's the best. I don't want any more (laughs) feedback now. That's all I want. Shut her down. All right, so let's get into the review of this week's episode. Episode 6 begins in Nob, Israel, 1008 B.C. Do you think there was a latch Israel? No. Or a lever Israel, just knob? It's just knob. If you're from... What else do you need? If you, have a, if you have a door with a knob, it doesn't have a latch. It's just a knob. I, I, you just pull I, it open. It's I, like I a cabinet. I completely disagree with you, because if you have a, a doorknob, the way it keeps your door shut is a latch. No, a knob is not a doorknob. A knob is like what's on your cabinet door. So are you telling me a like doorknob little... is not a knob? That's <laughs> no, what not. I heard. It's not a knob. I mean, it's literally called a doorknob. Now, the, the door adjective attachment prefix is uh, distinguishes it as something unique. Yeah, I, I think you just distinguished yourself as something unique. So anyways, <laughs> we're in uh, Nob Israel in 1008 BC, and a man dressed as Jombie the Genie from Pee-wee's Playhouse is having his sash tied on by his wife. How dare you <laughs> insult the high priest? Paul wouldn't even insult the high priest. No, he would, but then he'd just apologize afterwards. 
Turns out the man with the fancy turban is the high priest Ahimelech, and his wife is worried because their oldest child is dying. But the man with the most interjectory name in the Bible, get it, Ahimelech, <clears throat> tells his old lady that she just worries too much. Then the wife is like, listen, Mr. Ahimelech, <clears throat> you said I was worrying too much the last time and one of our kids got sick and, and they're dead now. And Ahimelech is just like, shh, 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 shh. We're not, we're not going <laughs> to. Like, I loved how he skipped out and said, don't worry, be happy he's now. Like, shh, 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 don't, don't think about that. By the way, where's our youngest kid, Abiathar? I want to teach him how to make the temple show bread. And, and the way that this is played off is terrible because the wife is like, oh, I'm a realist because our kid's dead. And then Abimelech's like, I'm an optimist. Glasses always half full. We got two other kids. <laughs> like, it's not cool. I don't like that at all. We got two more left. It's all right. And even if the other one dies, we still got, we a still little, got one. We still got a little uh, Biathar there. Do you ever think of Biathar pretended he was a giant dinosaur? Because that's like the most dinosaur sounding name I've ever heard. Like, like well, can you picture like a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex? What, what would you, a name you'd give to Tyrannosaurus Rex? A Biathar. I, I could see that. Did you ever pretend to be a dinosaur when you were a kid? Biathar was a dinosaur from our imagination. Barney'd still be on the air if you went by a Biathar. <laughs> okay, so cut to Ahimelech and his young son baking the 12 loaves of showbread that will sit on the altar for a week. The day after the next Shabbat, these loaves will be replaced with fresh loaves, and Ahimelech and the other priests will carbo-load on some weak-old holy emblems. You had to have some good sop to moisten those down. Right. Some nice sop. Ahimelech is explaining all this to his son, who looks to be about five. And uh, he just, the high priest just says, yep, every Sunday we fill up on rolls. I mean, as long as none of us is laying with our wives the night before. And then the five-year-old kid, with innocence and love in his eyes, asks his father, don't you lay with mommy every night, papa? And Ahimelech responds, not since I had kids. <clears throat> I mean... I'll talk to you about it another time. It's not since your brother died. <laughs> so, with the terrible promise of having his father someday explain the marital habits of his parents, the two begin replacing the old bread with the new. Then some skinny guy just busts in, and with no explanation or even a passing glance at who walked into the Levitical bakery, Ahimelech sends Abiathar home. Like, his back is turned to the door... This guy rushes in without even looking at who it is. He's like, Abiathar, leave. Turns out that the skinny guy that rushed in is none other than David, who is panic-stricken and asks the priest for some bread for him and his men. And Ahimelech asks, have you or your men been intimate with any woman of the female variety? <laughs> That's what I ask everyone before giving them anything. I just, I'm just saying that Ahimelech has uh, one thing on his mind this entire opening. <laughs> That's the only law that you have to keep. That's all that Ahimelech cares about. He doesn't care about the other 612 laws. He just cares about that, that one. Anything that has to do with, with doing the deed, Ahimelech is all over. Uh, but David's like, no, no, we haven't known any woman because we've been in hiding <laughs> using the proper King James euphemism for sex because this is a family show. After celebrating David's celibacy, Ahimelech agrees 
Ahimelech agrees to give David the bread, despite the fact that the wafers were sacred, and despite the fact that if Saul found out what the priest did, well, Ahimelech will be killed. But the priest isn't worried about that, as he tells David, I'm helping you because something big will happen through you. Then before leaving, David responds, There was nothing bigger or more exciting than that giant. There's nothing that will be bigger than killing the giant. Wait, wait, no, stop the theme song. I'm not going to let it interrupt me this time. Why in the world did Dallas Jenkins make David say that? That is the dumbest line, I think, in the entire show up to this point. I hated it, and if you take a look at the text, I think David knew why he killed the giant, and God is bigger. Yeah, no duh. He even (laughs) says that while he goes and kills the giant. So why would David go? He knows at this point that he's going to be the king, and that God is going to work through him. Why in the world would Jacob's like, hey, why don't you say something about the giant here? (laughs) It's going to be real good, George. (laughs) <laughs> I think I think Jenkins has this love of making the characters that you think should be the most knowledgeable the least knowledgeable. So- and then just like lifting up these other characters out of their obscurity to be like the sages of the of the movie and it's like it, it's it was okay for a couple characters you know but he seems to do it with every single everyone one now. You can't make King David ignorant. You can't. You, you can't do that, Jenkins. Did anyone else, when that guy barged in and said he was David, what, were you underwhelmed? <laughs> I was like, that's not A David. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not David. I don't care about that when he said, there was nothing bigger or more exciting than that giant. Nothing's going to be bigger than the giant. I wanted to throw <laughs> a stool at my TV. Dumbest line in the show. And, and that's saying something. All right. <clears throat> so you can play the theme song now. After the opening credits, we come to Jericho. Now, if you don't remember, at the end of last week's episode, I still can't believe that this actually happened in this show, but Mary ran away from Jesus and the Chosen to Jericho, went down into a cellar, a dive bar slash gambling parlor of a man by the name of Thro, who, uh, that is short for Jethro, And the way she got in was by telling the bouncer that she was the hammer. You know, I'm just really disappointed that they didn't, like, build on that. I mean, you know, I want want an an entire spinoff of Dallas Jenkins just imagining Mary Magdalene as the hammer. And here's the problem I have with this whole storyline, because Mary is like, oh, I know these streets. I've been here. I used to be in these slums. Mary, you were healed in Capernaum. Why are you talking like Jericho's your hometown? I think Jenkins forgot where Mary was healed in the first season. Jenkins forgot who Mary was in general. Hey, I've got confession time here, too. Last week, when we started the episode, I remember that guy coming to Mary. But, like, what we're talking about right now, I don't remember at all. And somehow, I think I got distracted. You, I, don't, I don't think you watched it, because I think it would be pretty impossible to be distracted by Mary saying, Hey, go tell Throw that the hammer's here. 
<laughs> Maybe you were so because that episode was so trash. By the end of it, you just turned it off because you couldn't deal with it anymore. I- After the opening credits, again we come back to Jericho, where Peter is sleeping in a horse stall, just chewing on a piece of hay that landed perfectly center in his mouth during the night. Pretty dumb. And he wakes up to find Matthew already awake and drawing a map of the city to help the two in their search for Mary Mags, a.k.a. the Hammer. A.k.a. Lilith. As Peter approaches Matthew, he notices a brown smudge on Matthew's cloak and asks the former accountant, what's on your clothes? Matthew looks down and sniffs the stain. Surprise, it's poop. Because Dallas Jenkins cannot tell the story of Jesus' life very long without busting out a poop joke. (laughs) To his credit. Matthew is horrified at this discovery and throws off his cloak and washes his hand in a bowl of water. Then Peter washes his hands in that same water. And I pause the show to go and vomit. That's how COVID started, I think. So, following what may be the nastiest joke in the entire series so far, Pete and Matthew start talking about how they're going to find Mary Mags. Matthew tells Pete that he already checked the local synagogue and they haven't seen her. The two start talking about a description of Mary so that they can start asking around about her location. And Peter starts, well, just tell people she's got long black hair, and then Matthew interjects. Long black hair. Oh, all our women have long. Sometimes she can't even cover it all. She might be inconsolable or distressed. Anything else? Unusually pleasant to look at. But Peter smiles in spite of his dislike for the former tax collector because the awkward Matthew has a big old puppy dog crush on Mary Mags. But this thought is cut short as a Roman soldier stumbles into their stall. And Peter asks the man if he's alright, to which the soldier responds, Just another night of the Nomad. And I'm like, what's the Nomad? First we had Throw and the Hammer, and now the Nomad is coming? This is gonna get <laughs> crazy! And uh, Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But the Roman is so out of it, he doesn't explain what the Nomad is. He just says something about the stairs, calls Peter a rat, and stumbles off. And so now I'm thinking, okay, he just set up this Nomad thing. Are we going to have to, like, have a battle with the Nomad in order to get Mary back? Is the Nomad... Nope, the Nomad never comes up again in the rest of the episode. (laughs) Back at the Chosen Camp, Rama and Mama Mary are forging for food and talking about what flowers they can eat. You see, Mama Mary is an expert at this because, apparently, if you're poor in the first century and you live in Nazareth, your every meal could also double as a lovely corsage or wedding centerpiece. (laughs) we ate flowers growing up never mind that in this episode they just show that the poor were allowed to glean from the fields so why is mary eating flowers well you see when it was winter and there was no wheat then that's when the flowers flowers. that's when the flowers grow when it's cold outside and frozen while they're talking about edible flowers rama asks why jesus doesn't just make food appear why jesus doesn't just poof mary mags back to camp and make money rain from the sky and mama mary tells rama that jesus isn't a genie that grants wishes and rama's like yeah i guess you're right but nothing good can come from mary disappearing like this and i say excuse me rama but i vehemently disagree with that statement (laughs) 
<laughs> the half an episode of the show where Mary Mags was gone was my favorite part I, of the entire series. I honestly believe that The Chosen would be a hundred times better if Mary Mags just vanished. And for a moment, a brief moment, it seemed that Mama Mary was going to agree with me as she asks Thomas's betrothed, Do you know that nothing good will come of the hammer leaving the camp? <laughs> and Mama Mary goes on to explain that Jesus sent Peter and Matthew to go and search for her. And maybe, just maybe, this adventure will bring them together. Rama argues that it's pretty messed up for Jesus to use the pain of Mary Mags to force Pete and Matt to get along. To which Mama Mary tells Rama to just chill for a couple reasons. Number one, we don't know if Mary Mags is hurting. Number two, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care if she's hurting. And number three, <laughs> we do know that we need to trust God. Rama reluctantly <laughs> agrees and the two run off to pick some lavender. Nom nom nom. And then she asks a question. Can you eat lavender? To which there's no response and I still have that question. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you look it up? I mean, uh, all this work. Yes, you can eat lavender. Lavender is an herb like rosemary and thyme. Blah, 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 blah. Endless dishes, drinks, and sides. And especially the drinks. Apparently, you can get lavender, rosemary, and thyme at Scarborough Fair. Mm, evidently. Hey, Scott, are you going to Scarborough Fair? Not this year, unfortunately. Remember me for one who lives there, who once was a... I, I don't think know. I don't know, Simon and Garfunkel. I don't know. It's a weird song. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Remember me to one who lives there. She once was a true love of mine. They shut it down because of COVID. Probably. Uh, back at Jericho, Mary is playing what I imagine Scott had for lunch today. A game called Knuckle Bones. <laughs> <laughs> Knuckle Bones. <laughs> I can imagine that Scott goes to some local diner and be like, I want a big plate full of Knuckle Bones. You slap a little Billy Ray's barbecue on that, you can't go wrong. Billy what Ray's barbecue? Billy Ray. Billy Ray's boot scoot and boogie barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> what else would the hammer be playing other than knuckle bones? Well, and in case you didn't know, knuckle bones is uh, an ancient precursor to jacks. Basically, the idea is you flipped a coin up in the air, you flipped a knuckle bone up in the air, picked as many knuckle bones up off the table as you could, and then catch the one you flipped in the air. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just now reading the, the, the Wikipedia article, and it says knuckle bones, also known as snobs, astragalus, tolly, dibs, five stones, jacks, or jack stones... It's a game of dexterity. So this guy was getting whipped at Knucklebones by the hammer, who was swashbuckling drunk. And he seemed like he was relatively sober. So what does that say about his dexterity? Right. I would also like to say that there are different throws you can do in Knucklebones that each have their own distinctive names, such as riding the elephant, peas in the pod, horses in the stable, and frogs in the well. This game sounds terrible. 
Alright, but anyways, apparently Mary's real good at these knuckle bones, because she's just winning. Winning just lots of cold, hard cash. She's making fat stacks, yo. And she's also being unnecessarily nasty to big, scary men that are standing all around her. And I, you know, if you're in first century Palestine, in a back alley bar called Throw, and you have the nickname The Hammer, and a bunch of dudes that outweigh you by 100 pounds are staying around you mad at you because you stole all their money or won all their money fair and square and knuckle bones. Uh, maybe just be a gracious winner. Not if you're as savage and as streetwise as Mary Magdalene. That's true. She is the hammer. Yeah, and if you got a nickname, the hammer. You didn't get it by being polite. She decides just suddenly that she's done playing and ready to start drinking. So she scoops up all of her money, pops it into her money bag, and a guy's like, hey, where are you going with my money? She's like, I won your money, fair and square. And he's like, yeah, but I want to win it back. And she's like, that's not how gambling works. And he's like... Uh-huh, because I'm a man in first century Palestine, and you're a woman, so I think less of you. And she's like, not going to play that game. Because truthfully, I'm a 21st century actress playing a part. We're not in Palestine, and I have rights. <laughs> this is America. She jumped on her Harley and left. Mary gets sad, so she leaves all of the money she won, and uh, cries herself out of Throw's bar. She leaves a sad hammer. Back at the Chosen Camp, Thomas is freaking out because they don't have enough lentils. Out of lentils, you're out of vittles, you out of everything. There ain't a critter in sight for supper tonight. I think that might just be the closest to rock bottom a person can get when they look at their lentil bag, see that it's running low, and go, this is a problem. I think everyone forgot up until the very end that you can glean from the wheat fields. I don't understand why everyone forgot about that. Clearly, there were wheat fields within walking distance. Go to the wheat fields, get yourself some wheat. Thomas is all worried about lentils, and uh, Andrew tells him to just chill out. For one reason, your body can go days without food, and, and Andrew knows this because apparently uh, when he was following John around, he wouldn't eat for a long time because... John doesn't believe in money. Doesn't believe in it? He says it's a man-made construct designed to assign value and take ownership of things that belong to God. John didn't believe in money? That's real dumb. It's real, real dumb. I, I don't know how you can back that up or say that. Biblically speaking, do you think that John the Baptizer didn't believe in money? Uh, probably not. I'm thinking Jenkins is going to go woke on us here and they're all going to turn into socialists. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mary's probably going to lead, you know, the socialist revival. Right. Yeah, so Andrew says that John doesn't believe in money and then Thomas jokes. <laughs> Sounds like the guy needs an accountant. Maybe we should send Matthew to him. <laughs> But Andrew... And Andrew's just no fun. He's like, not cool, bro. But I know isn't the best time for jokes. We shouldn't be joking at a time like this. This is a serious episode with serious consequences. And we only joke during non-serious parts, like when Jesus is healing a potential murderer. We can make jokes then, <laughs> but Mary walked off on her own volition, so we need to be somber. You would think Mary is their leader by the way that they act. When Jesus yeah. disappears, they're like, oh, when's he gonna come back? Hey, you guys seen Jesus? Eh, if he comes back, meh. Who cares? At least Mary's yeah, he's here. He's doing something. We got Mary. It's cool. Oh, by the way, in the background, Simon the Zealot is pretending to be an airbender from the TV show Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> is that what he was doing? <laughs> that's exactly... That's, Just off in the distance. That's exactly what it looked like. If you ever watched that cartoon uh, Avatar on Nickelodeon, he looked exactly like every airbender that ever was. He's like moving his hands, trying to push the air around. 
really, it's this this stupid fight dancing moves that he's done in every episode that he's been in since he first came on the show. While this is happening, while Andrew or, or Simon is jumping around like an idiot, James and Big John are also in the camp just chopping some wood. They stop to watch Simon do some fighting dance moves. And then their conversation turns uh, to the star of the show, as it should, Mary Mags. And the Sons of Thunder just can't understand why Jesus would send Matthew and Peter to look for her. I mean, that's like sending a fox and a fish to go and team up and do something productive. What? Because they could never work together. It's a saying. Nobody says that. <laughs> it would have. He keeps he keeps making John say these weird things, and I I kind of feel like he's trying to build up that like John's gonna write a gospel that's different than everybody else's, and that's why he does it. Oh wait, I forgot to talk about something. When Mary was gambling, one of the guys when they lose said, ah, "Mother of a dog." Lazy writing, Jenkins. Lazy writing. <laughs> I get what you were doing there. I do. Part of me wants to say it was clever, but it's really not. You just can't take a known swear word or swear phrase and just change the words around. You think of something different. There's so many biblical euphemisms to use. Why couldn't the guy just been like, ah, cover my feet? That would be a good one. <laughs> By the way, covering your feet in King James English uh, means taking a poop. Back in Jericho, <laughs> Peter and Matthew just walk into Thro's micro bruise and gambling den. Which I find is odd, because if you remember the last episode, Mary had to convince a bouncer to let her in. But Matthew and Peter just walk in through an open door. It was the middle of the day. It was happy hour. Right. It's fine. It was, <laughs> it was ladies' night. By the way, at this point, Matthew's cloak is somehow completely poo-free. Mm -hmm. Washed clean. So, this man who's supposedly in love with Mary took the time to scrub his garments clean instead of just going without his outer garment. It was a nice coat. If Megan was missing and you had a stain on your shirt, would you stop and do a load of laundry before you went and looked for Megan? Well, they clearly weren't that, you know, in that much of a hurry. They were out there making eggs, so they were just kind of like, well, we'll find her when we find her. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. The first thing that happens when Peter wakes up is Matthew goes, hey, are you hungry? Peter's like, yeah. What do you have for breakfast? Nothing. Here, <laughs> Nothing. make yourself what are you some cooking? eggs. So, Luke, you didn't answer the question. If Megan was missing, would you go immediately or do a load of laundry? If I was wafting poo, I feel like my search and rescue abilities would probably be impaired. Okay, in the first century... I wouldn't, be able to, I wouldn't be able to follow the trail very well, you know, so I'd have to wash the poo right off the we, we made this. Of we made this shirt. point in the last season. In the first century, everybody wafted poo at all times. Yeah, but it's different if it's, like, right under your nose, you know, and especially if you're tracking down drunken women. You gotta have your senses alert and ready. So why not just leave the jacket at home? I'll tell you why. Have you noticed that you could see the actor's breath in like 90% of the scenes? No. It is freezing wherever they're filming. In the middle of the <laughs> Middle East, it is freezing. Go back and watch and pay attention, because as they're talking, you can see Matthew's breath clouds just puffing out of his mouth. That's why he had his poo coat clean. It was cold. <laughs> Plus, he wasn't at home, so where was he going to leave his poo coat? Like, in that stable? Somebody would have taken it because it's a nice coat. Hey, Dallas, I gotta, be, I gotta be real honest with you. Yes, Matthew, I told you to call me Mr. Jenkins on set and always speak in your stereotypical accent. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Jenkins. Um, can we clean my coat so I don't have, uh, get pneumonia? We don't know what pneumonia is. We're in the first century, Matthew. <laughs> 
you know, I believe that wherever they're filming is cold because if you ever know you know, the bushes, like the apple tree, the horrible apple tree uh, from last episode yeah, no and then the berry it. bush from this one full of berries and fruit, no leaves. And Dallas no is like, well, we don't really have the budget to leaf this thing. So we'll just slap a bunch of bright, shiny fruit on it and they'll pick it off. So what what was the question? Oh, the question was, would I get my coat if I was looking for Megan? Oh, I, no, I did. Would you that. wash your coat? <laughs> yeah, I would. Because then, you know, if somebody rescued me in a poop coat, I'd be like, you know, I might just stay here with my captives or my captors because I don't really want to go with smell a pot of this. Here, the nomad may be cruel, but he doesn't smell like poo. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I'm just bothered by the fact that Matthew's coat is clean. It's pretty dumb. Continuity error. But um, <laughs> but they nervously look uh, around the bar for Mary. And then to Peter's fear and annoyance, Matthew just shouts out, Excuse me! Excuse me, you scary murderers. Um, have you seen a hot brunette that I'm attracted to? And everybody just stops and stares at him. The big scary gambler that Mary won all his money stands up and he's like, You talking about the hammer? <laughs> AKA Lilith. 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 The hammer. Magdalene. Is that who you talking about? But she won all my money. And then pulled a switchblade on me and told me to back up. And then ran out the bar and left all my money. It was a real confusing moment. I need to go home and talk to my mom. Tell her I'm sorry. And Matthew and Pete both look at each other once he's like, once the big scared gambler talks about the hammer, and they, they just look at each other and just like, pop, that's our Mary. <laughs> and then a music cue play. We'll be right back to another brand new episode of That's Our Mary, right after a word from our sponsors. And how do you make that jump? I mean, did he say anything at all that would make you go, oh yeah, that's her? Well, Mary's street cred and street street skills are so legendary, evidently, that they just know that it was her. I mean, when you talk about the hammer from from Capernaum all the way down to Ur the Chaldees, they know about the hammer. Basically, along the Fertile Crescent is what I'm saying, because I couldn't think of the word Egypt, because that would be south. (laughs) (laughs) I could have said all the way down to Alexandria. That would have been better than Ur of the Chaldees, but I didn't. It's been a long time since I took biblical geography. Yeah, so uh, they learn uh, that, that the Hammer slash Lilith slash Mary Mags had been there, but she left. And so they leave the bar, they leave Thro's house, and they're back on the street. And they're, they're planning to split up to find Mary, because we need to find her as fast as we can. But before they're able to split up, they hear... Hi, boys. Mary's, (laughs) sure enough, sitting on a bench three feet in front of them, right in their eye line, (laughs) is Mary Mags. (laughs) It was closer than three feet. Matthew actually stepped on her foot. And she's just sitting on a bench looking like she's never heard of a hairbrush and hasn't slept in a month. (laughs) Even though she looked pretty much fine earlier at the bar that she left just about 45 minutes ago. Yeah, so they're like, Mary, let's go back to Jesus. And Mary's like, nah, nah, I'm not, go- I'm not doing that because Jesus already fixed me once and, and I broke again. I'm all broken. I can't face him after letting him down. 
And I scream at my That's TV true. at this point in time going, you heard her, guys. Turn around. Go ahead and go back. <laughs> That's a wrap. Let's go. That's a season wrap on Mary Magdalene. Move on. <laughs> she didn't have to show up until Jesus resurrects from the dead, so just leave her there until then. Yeah, actually, that'd be pretty good. When you think about it, Mary, last time we see her is a wreck, but then she gets her life back together. Maybe she heard Jesus do something <laughs> later on that got her back on track, and then when she finally gets up the strength to go back and apologize to Jesus, he's dead. He's dead. And she's crying in his tomb in front of the garden, and then Jesus goes, Boo! And she says, ah! <laughs> Gardener, you scared me. I ain't the gardener woman. Turn around. That would be good. Take notes, Jenkins. But uh, <sighs> Matthew convinces Mary to return to the chosen camp by just, just reminding her of, of how awesome she is and how she's better than everyone else in the chosen. And... <laughs> And Mary's how she's his true spiritual mentor and has encouraged him to study Torah, not Jesus, Mary. Right. And you guys aren't even stretching this a little. Then we're taken to a temple in Jerusalem for some reason, and our favorite Pharisees, Shmuel and his buddy, who I just learned the name of this week, Yusuf, are laying their case out against Jesus to a member of the Sanhedrin. He's Amish. Yep. <laughs> And the member of the Sanhedrin is just not interested in Shmuel's case against Jesus. Why? Because he is a member of the liberal Sadducee party. And the president of the liberal Sadducee party, a man by the name of Shimon, just isn't going to bother with Shmuel's petty case against Jesus. And somewhere Michael Jackson is like, I'm pretty sure we copyrighted Shimon. Shimon's the president, liberal president. He's not going to bother with, with this silly little case against Jesus. Because he's too busy trying to reform the laws of Moses to make them less difficult for the Jews to follow. Liberal. That's why I said he was part of the liberal Sadducee party. And bas- I just had to say it again. And basically, he's woke. He's progressive. And basically, this Sadducee just tells Shmuel and Yusuf to, to let it go. Back at their home, Yusuf is not happy they were dismissed by the Sadducees, and Shmuel's ready to give up. But Yusuf tells his boon companion that they ain't done yet. If the Sadducees aren't going to help them, they're going to go to the super strict president of the Pharisees, a man by the name of Shammai. We'll go to Shammai, Yusuf says, and tell them that Jesus is going around telling people to pick up their mats on Shabbat and blaspheming. And then we'll tell him that Shimon ain't taking Jesus' crimes seriously. And maybe, just maybe, if they pit Shammai and Shimon against each other, then Sha-someone will take Sha-action against Sha-Jesus. Mary Mags, Peter, and Matthew make it back to the chosen camp, where news had just reached them that John the Baptizer had been taken into custody by Herod. Jesus is in his tent praying for his cousin when Mary Mags just barges in because she does. She's so inconsiderate. Dad was all his mother. I know that. Ema does what she wants. Yeah, Mama Mary brings Mary Mags to him. And Jesus, who is just finishing up a good crying sesh for his cousin, turns to the hammer and tells her, it's good to have you back. Now, Jenkins does a lot of things wrong in this, but this is almost unforgivable. The fact that he's putting lies in Mary or in Jesus's mouth, I I cannot stand it. It is not good to have Mary back. We all know it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. 
I was really hoping she'd continue on in her sinful lifestyle, at least until, you know, Jesus comes back from the dead, because I'm tired of her. Mary Mags explains that she's ashamed for leaving, and she doesn't think she's worthy of being a chosen. And again, I'm screaming at my, my, my screen, fine, leave, do it. I agree, <laughs> leave. Just, just go. And she certainly knows that she will never be able to repay Jesus for the redemption he gave her earlier. She's like, I need to go. I can't do this. Unfortunately, Jesus tells Mary that she will never live up to what Jesus has done for her and that she's still going to struggle. But if she gives her heart to him and to God, then then everything's going to work out eventually. Someday, she will never sin again. But that day won't come while she's here on this earth. And this is a really good point. I really like this scene. But I wish that it happened between anybody else. Literally anybody else <laughs> except for Jesus and Mary. Because I really want Mary to go away for a while. Uh, yes, that would have been nice. Like, there's 12 other apostles that aren't getting a whole lot of airtime. Like, mm-hmm. uh, let's, let's plug one I of them mean, in. Why don't you take tell Simon to time out trying to, trying to practice his water bending for a little while and come in here and talk? Outside of the tent, Andrew is nearly inconsolable at the news that Creepy John has been given a life sentence by Herod. And Simon... But Simon suggests that he get some of his boys from the ancient Hobbit Hole Zealot Hit Squad to go and break the baptizer out. And I'm like, at this point, why not? We're so far off the rails. This show's in outer space. I would love to see a first century jailbreak. Why not? Let's as well let's do it. I mean, at this point, it's like it's like um, it's like the movie Noah. The movie was garbage because they called it Noah. But I keep saying that if it was called anything else, it would have been an okay fantasy movie. It really would have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I don't know what in the world is happening. And while everyone is considering doing an awesome high-stakes prison break, Thomas is like, hey guys, I know John the Baptist just got arrested, but I have even worse news. We're out of lentils. (laughs) (laughs) Was that supposed to be funny? Like, I can't understand that. If it wasn't, but... And then he, like, goes to Jesus, and I'm like, dude... like. You need to chill about the lentils. Like, why are you so... <laughs> you need to calm down. <laughs> His cousin just got imprisoned for life, and he's upset about that. Hey, hey Jesus, I, was, I really wanted to make a nice Italian wedding soup, but uh, we're all out of lentils. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Thomas. Go away. When Jesus hears about the food shortage, he tells everyone to pack up. Because tomorrow's Shabbat, and they're going to a synagogue in a place called Wadi Kelt. <laughs> Sounds like you're going to a swamp. <laughs> Wadi Kelt. Uh, excuse me, sir. Can you tell me which way the synagogue is? It's back the way you came, yuppie. <laughs> 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 We're backwoods dudes here in Waldy Kelp. We we don't take too kindly to outsiders. It's kind Do of the you're talking to. Hey, this is the Capernaum Hammer. Hey, hey, Hanukkah. I named my daughter Hanukkah. <laughs> 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 
It's good. You get a little snort and lisp in there as you're doing that. That's, that's pretty awesome, man. Hey, Hanukkah, come over here and show these fellas the door before before I get my 20-gauge sling. So, yeah, they go semi-automatic. That's right. I got my AR-15 sling strapped right to my back, and I'll, I'll kill you. Because there ain't nobody here in Wadi Kelp except for me and mine. And that's the way it's going to stay. Oh. On the way there, Jesus is talking about a few things on his mind. Namely, how the world's just getting crazier. But then they get to Wadi Kelp and any, everything Jesus said just really doesn't have any matter to the story. So I didn't put it in the summary. Uh, in the synagogue, the local rabbi is teaching on who can and who cannot worship in the temple under the law of Moses. Because of course he is. Because of course he is. Because <laughs> why wouldn't you? He's just reading Deuteronomy 23. So they walk into to this synagogue and the rabbi is teaching. And then Jesus just goes around and starts talking to people and greeting them. Like, I don't know the protocol for how Jesus t- spoke during synagogue visits and whatnot, but I don't, I never pictured Jesus just walking through the crowds as the dude's trying to teach, just going, hi, how you doing? My name's Jesus. Nice to meet you. Oh, hi, hi, how you doing? <laughs> you guys are there. It's like, what is happening? Like, I, I, I just imagine me being up there and then some stranger I don't know just walks in and starts talking to people while I'm up there preaching. I would probably have a problem with that, too. It just was so mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, I know you're teaching, but um, can go over here and have a conversation in the middle of your... I just your don't think that's precedented. Tour I reading. don't think that he did that. Yeah, yeah, it was a little weird. Uh, so, yeah, Jesus is just, like, talking to people. And then he comes to a man with a gross, withered hand. And Jesus is like, hey, can, I, can nice. I touch your hand? And the guy's like, I guess. But anyways, he's like, hey, you want me to heal your hand? And the guy's like, yeah, that's great, but this guy's talking. And he's like, Psh, don't worry about him. I got this. So Jesus is about to heal this guy, and the rabbi's like, hey, first of all, could you sit down, please? I'm like in the middle of something. And uh, second of all, you can't heal him right now. It's Shabbat, and, you know, we don't heal people on, on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, whatever, I'm going to do what I want. And he heals this guy. And I will say the CGI of this miracle is actually pretty cool. Like, I thought they did a pretty good job with this. Where, like, Jesus tells him to stretch out his hand and you hear the bones snapping in place and everything. Because I've seen, like, some miracles that Jesus portrayed where, like, it's a guy making a fist. They're like, okay, I'm going to heal you. And the guy just opens his hand like normal. But it was kind of kind of graphic and gross. But it was, mm-hmm. you could see this hand coming back to life. And it was pretty cool. I thought the miracle was was nice to see. It brought warm, tingly feelings to my heart, and um, just a blessed moment. I feel like. <laughs> okay, is that? That's all I have to say. He heals the hands. Everything's fine, and this causes the rabbi to run up to him and shout in Jesus's face. If he was supposed to be healed, God would have done it himself. Interesting point. Get out! Gladly. Blasphemer! What is wrong with you? Apparently everything. All right, Jenkins, <laughs> I'm back on your side right now because I was pretty. Yeah, I love that. That was pretty cool. <laughs> Though this whole scene was awesome because then the rabbi's like, 
what's wrong with you? And he goes, apparently everything. He's like, get out. Planning on it, bud. Let's go. Let's bounce. The rabbi kicks Jesus and the Chosen out of the synagogue, and as they're walking away through a wheat field, Peter is just so excited about what he saw that he just starts picking heads of grain and popping them in his mouth without thinking. And then he's horrified by what he has done because the Pharisees taught that gleaning was forbidden on the Sabbath. But Jesus tells Peter that it's cool. Get yourself a snack, Pete. And then every member of the Chosen attacks that wheat field like they're on an episode of First Century Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> this is why the lentils of this episode bothered me so much. If they were that near a wheat field and they knew you could glean from a wheat field, why was anyone ever worried about food ever in this show? It is absolutely dumb that that was the manufactured reason for them to go to this synagogue. I feel like they just needed a reason to put the other apostles in the episode just for like a second. But it, and so they come up with these stupid reasons like John's in prison and Andrew's crying and they have no food and Thomas is whining. And it's like, and that's the only part. It's like, why? Just give them a valuable role. But they gave them all to Mary. Well, Peter and Matthew had a pretty valuable role this week. Did they? No. They achieved a worthless purpose in finding Mary Magdalene and bringing her back to Jesus. Unforgivable. Then a rabbi comes running up the road to yell at Jesus some more and just is appalled when when he sees the chosen nomin on some delicious raw wheat germ. The rabbi comes up and is like, hey, what are y'all doing eating that grain? Y'all know that you can't sow and reap on Sabbath. And instead of Jesus going, yeah, but this isn't sowing and reaping. This is picking some grain and eating it. It's not the same. He goes, um, uh, he goes, basically, first off, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Second off, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abiathar the high priest? He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for the priest to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And thirdly, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And finally, I'm the son of God. After Jesus tells this guy off, the rabbis rendered speechless. And Jesus looks at the chosen and says once again, let's bounce. And they all walk away. Back at the little synagogue, the rabbi from Waldy Kelt is speaking with his advisor about reporting Jesus to the Sanhedrin. And he says, Now, we just may be a small backwatered synagogue, but they still need to hear that this Jesus guy's running around and healing people on the Sabbath and breaking the Shabbat laws. And maybe, just maybe, the Sanhedrin will take us seriously. All we can do is pray. For what, Rabbi? What are you going to pray for? Justice. End of the episode. (laughs) Here on the Rotten and Righteous podcast, we do a little thing called the SEP scale, and it takes a long time where we go through scriptural accuracy and entertainment value and parental control and should you watch it. But we're going to do it anyways, even though we've been recording for two hours and 35 <laughs> minutes. So with that in mind, the first letter on our SEP scale as scriptural accuracy. Scott, you haven't been here for a while, so just shut up. Luke, what was your uh, scriptural accuracy rating? Let's see, scriptural accuracy. How did this start off? Oh yeah, in the stall. Or, uh, no, David busting no, into it. No, it started out um, in the stall. True words have not been spoken. In the, 
<laughs> in the bathroom stall of some rest stop somewhere. I am going to give it a strong 12. I don't know that I can give it a 12. I don't see that it butchered scripture necessarily, but there's just like a bunch of garbage in there that's not even in the Bible and I don't care about. I'm going to give it like a 15. Scott? I'm at a 16. I'm kind of with Luke. It's just, and I know you can't penalize it, but there's so much stuff in there that just, you have no clue if it happened or if it didn't happen. And I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part, but I will give it a 12. Okay, so entertainment value. Were you entertained? Not at all. I wasn't. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> I, I don't know. A 10. Some episodes I've just loved. This was not one of them. Uh, I'm going to give this a strong... Um, I'm going to go with 10 as well, because... Uh, I come back to the same point I make every week. When Jenkins does Jesus and actual biblical stories, they're pretty good, and I like them. And he gives Jesus some sweet lines. And it's just like, oh, you know, I could see this happening and playing out in the Bible. And when he goes off onto his stupid side job, side tangents on Mary Magdalene and, you know, Matthew and Peter walking around sleeping in poo, like, I don't <laughs> care. I don't care at all. So, <laughs> 10. <laughs> It gave it a lower rating until you said going around sleeping in poo. And then I remembered how much entertainment I got from that. So <laughs> I'm like 24. No, I'm going to give it a 20. I was barely entertained. 20. I didn't think the episode was that long. I really liked the buddy cop kind of feel between Peter and Andrew, the odd couple <laughs> kind of vibe we got from there. There's a few moments that were genuinely laugh-inducing. I've got chills when Jesus, uh, when the rabbi said, only God, if God wanted this man to be healed, he would have healed him. And Jesus said, huh, that's interesting to think about, huh? And I was like, oh, man, that was good. So I'll give it a 20. I didn't hate the episode. Uh, parental control, was there anything in here that you would not want your kids to see? Let me just go first and say I'm going to give it a 20. I did not appreciate the whole... I mean, the sex jokes in the beginning. That's what I want to say. I, I appreciated them. They were funny, but I, I wouldn't want a kid watching those and then be like, hey, what does it mean to lay with your wife? So, you know, I'm going to give it a 20. I'm going to give about, it a What about knuckle jacks? Knuckle bones? Knuckle, it had nothing to do knuckle, with nothing. Knuckle yeah. bones. Sitting in a bar. Yeah, you know what? I just... Throwing them Hold on a second. I, yeah, that's true. There was also drinking. So, I'll. you know what? You're right. I'll give it 15. Uh, same place. Fifteen. I, actually, no. I'll give it a. I'll give it an eighteen. I didn't really mind the the uh, sex jokes at the beginning. You know, good old King James humor, and uh, th the bar scene was a little little raunch. I give it a fifteen. Yeah. And finally, should you watch it? Is there merit? Watch the last five minutes, and you'll be good. The rest of it is garbage. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna give it like a. I'm gonna give it a twelve. I'm going to give it a 13, because I'm kind of blah. You want to watch it? Watch it. You don't, don't. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 10, because I think that's how many minutes are biblical in it. 10. 10? That's probably right. Out of, out of, out of probably 45, 10. Anytime Jesus goes into, like, action hero mode is what I call it, like when a switch flips in him <laughs> and he goes from being this kind, joking around dude to being super serious, and, like, Oh, man, I love it. And again, the actor that plays Jesus is fantastic. Someone should really make a show around him. Um, 
<laughs> you know, he would play a good yeah. Jesus if they would just make a show well, around I mean, I'm him. I'm saying, instead of giving Jesus a cameo every week, let's, let's like, let him be Jesus for a little bit. I think that'd be good. <laughs> all right, when all is said and all is done, Luke gave this episode a 52. Scott and I gave it a 57, which averages out to a 55%, which is, according to our grading scale, AD. But there you have it. Episode 6 of The Chosen is an official D. And, of course, we are using Carleton University's grading scale... Go Browns. Go Ravens. Nope. Yep, that's right. Go Ravens. Go Browns! Because the Baltimore Ravens were originally the Browns. Um, <laughs> Ca-caw! Um, for Rot or Righteous... <laughs> I'm Scott Judge. <laughs> I'm Luke Taylor. And I'm... Joseph Smith. Shmuel. <laughs> I'm Zach Geiler. And remember... Next time you want to criticize your wife's judgment, remember who she married. Good night, everybody. way you could turn down the sensitivity on that mic because there's a lot of background noise that help? yeah actually i don't hear it anymore oh, he's frozen that's why it helped <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and make your own joke this is a fun segment where you get to participate by making your own podcast, because apparently we're not doing it for you this week. Okay.